God's word is from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, which can be found on page 1152. Page 1152, 1 Corinthians 10, starting at the very top, verse 23. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am, why am I denounced because of something I thanked God for? So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God even as I try to please everyone in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Good evening, everyone. Thank you, Richard, for reading for us. Um, If you've been with us over the past few weeks, then you'll know that we've had uh, a short break um, from 1 Corinthians, um, but tonight we're back in this letter, and we're reaching the end of a section that goes from 8 verse 1. Uh, And so whilst we're reading the verse, while we're looking at the verses that Richard has just um, read for us, and we'll also be flicking back um, a couple of times um, in the sermon and to think about some of the things that Paul has already said. And please do also remember that previous sermons can be found online on the website, and so you can catch up that way too, if that would be helpful for you. And before we begin, though, um, let's come to the Lord um, in prayer together. Jesus says... For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Father, we praise you so much this evening that the Lord Jesus is the one who went to the cross for us. We've just been singing those wonderful words. The death of Jesus which brings us forgiveness and life. And we pray, Father, this evening that the cross of the Lord Jesus would be 
something that shapes us and molds us as your people and to be those who are more Christ-like in our attitudes and in our actions. Amen. Well, one question that I've had from the teenagers in the past is this. To what extent can I, as a Christian, join in with what my non-Christian friends are doing? Now, of course, their, their question isn't referring to things in the Bible that are sort of black and white. They're not saying, oh, I know the Bible says this, but can I just do it anyway? They're talking about things in which the Bible might seem less clear on, less black and white. Now, as we think about this, I wonder how you would respond to them. What could they join in with? There might be two dangers that we can fall into. Uh, The first is the danger of legalism. You see, uh, as Christians, we we can often create extra rules, can't we, that the Bible doesn't give us. Uh, And of course, we do this because we like to feel proud about ourselves. And we like to do this so that we can look down on other Christians who don't adhere to our rules. But as well as the danger of legalism, there is also the danger of license. And the idea that as Christians, we're simply free to do whatever we want to do. After all, if the Bible doesn't necessarily say that it's wrong for Christians to do something, then why not go and do it? Now, of course, there's plenty we could say about um, legalism. But for tonight, the focus is going to be on the danger of license, because that is the danger that Christchurch Corinth are falling into. Remember, we've seen all the way throughout this letter that this church in Corinth are a very worldly church. They want to be seen as strong and impressive looking in the eyes of the world. They want to fit in and adopt the attitude of the culture around them. And we saw that, if you remember, right back at the start in their attitude towards leaders and teachers. They want the strong ones. They want the impressive ones. And more recently, we've seen that they wanted to do this in the way that they were living. They want to fit in. They want to be worldly. They want to do whatever they can. I have the right to do anything. That seems to be one of their favorite catchphrases. We saw Paul quote them on it back in chapter 6, if you remember, when Paul was um, dealing about sexual immorality. And we see him quoted again this evening as he continues to deal with the issue of food sacrificed to idols. Remember, first century Corinth, littered with all sorts of temples. Temples where meat would have been carried to in order to be offered to a range of gods. Sacrificing food would have been such an integral part of everyday life in Corinth that most of the meat that you saw down on the supermarket shelf was very likely to have got there from the farm via the temple. And it appears that many of the Christians in Corinth were just joining in without really thinking about it. They weren't thinking about the potential danger that they were putting themselves in, and they definitely weren't thinking about the impact that their decisions were having on everybody else at church. Now, of course, throughout this section, Paul has agreed with them on a number of occasions. You have certain freedoms. You do. But the bigger point is that he has been challenging them 
to think about how they use those freedoms. And as we conclude the section, Paul outlines two principles that really summarize for us all that he has been saying. Two principles that should govern our decision-making. Number one, the glory of God. And number two, the good of others. Now, of course, um, the question of food sacrifice to idols may not be the biggest question on your hearts right now. But those two principles, the glory of God and the good of others, are two principles that should govern how we go about making all sorts of decisions. Are you making decisions right now in your life? Probably. Well, therefore, we need these verses. And so what we're going to do, we're going to look um, at these two headings in turn. And as we do that, we'll flick back, as I say, a couple of times um, to help us recap the section as a whole. Uh, And after that, what I hope to do is take us through a case study uh, of a real example to show what making decisions like this might look like in practice. So principle number one, the glory of God. Do just cast your eyes with me um, down to verse 31. Let's look at that together. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do as a Christian believer, as we make decisions each and every day, our primary aim should be that God receives glory and honor and praise. Negatively, this is going to mean making sure that we're fleeing idolatry. Think back to last time we were in 1 Corinthians. Paul sounded the alarm at the start of chapter 10 and through that chapter, sounding the alarm as he gave us the warning lesson from history. He spoke of all the privileges that Old Testament Israel had and then gave us that very shocking statement indeed. God was not pleased with most of them. Old Testament Israel full of idolatry, full of immorality and so only two of the original nation made it into the land. And the big point for us was verse 14. The right hand side, halfway down, page 1151. This was the big point. Therefore, my dear friends... Flee from idolatry. Now, for the Corinthians, that meant that they were to avoid going to the worship service at the temple where the food was being offered. If they did that, if they turned up at the worship service when the food was being offered, well, Paul says, by doing that, you're participating in the worship of demons. Not good. And so the Corinthians were to think about when they were to go to the temple, because you're not to participate. And for us, we thought about, well, if by going somewhere, I am participating in the worship of other things other than God, well, then we shouldn't go. If going means that I'm participating, don't go. But whilst doing things for the glory of God does mean fleeing idolatry, It also um, means something else. It it means something more positive, don't we? Think about the positive thing. Recognizing that everything we have comes from God. Giving glory to God means living in a godly way. 
Giving glory to God means praising Him and thanking Him for the things that we are doing. And so if we've got a decision to make about whether we join in with something or not, here's a good question that that might be worth asking. Can I legitimately praise and thank God whilst doing this? Can I thank God for this TV show that I'm about to watch? If not, well, that might be a sign that we shouldn't be watching it. The glory of God. But that's not the only thing we're to consider. We also need to think about the good of others. Look back to verse 31 again of chapter um, 10. Verse 31. And we'll read on a bit further this time. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God. In fact, it's it's there at the start of the passage too, isn't it? Verse 23, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. I think it's worth just pausing on the challenge of verse 23 for a few moments. You see, when we're thinking, well, what do I join in with? The question that we often ask is, what can I do? Our thought process is often, well, the Bible doesn't say that I can't, and therefore I can. Paul completely changes this in verse 23. He changes the question that we should be asking. The question we should ask is not, what can I do, but what should I do? It's completely different. Not what can I join in with, but what should I join in with? And you see, it's not just a case of avoiding things that are going to be unhelpful for us, but actively pursuing the things that are going to be of benefit. And of course, it's not just what benefits us, isn't it? But rather what builds up others. After all, verse 24, no one should seek their own goods, but the good of others. I wonder if verse 23 is a challenge for you. It is for me, because I often think, what can I do? What can I get away with? That's not the question. What should I do? What is going to be of benefit? Pursue that. Not just avoiding what is going to be unhelpful, but pursuing what is going to be helpful. And of course, for other people too. In fact, doing good for the good, sorry, doing what is good for other people has been Paul's points all along. Let's flip back to chapter eight and the second half of it, so just one page, one one five zero. In this chapter, Paul agreed with the Corinthians. He said, You're right, an, an idol is nothing. He said, There is only one God, there is only one Lord. He said that eating food that has come through the sacrificial system to the supermarket, to your plate, well, that doesn't bring you any nearer to God. He even implies that going to the temple for a meal might be fine. But, 8 verse 9, and this is the key thing, be careful, however, 
that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause them to fall. Paul's point was that a Christian in Corinth might technically be able to eat the food. But more importantly, consider other Christians above your own freedoms. Consider the goods of others. Verse 13, shocking. Paul is prepared to give up meat for the good of other people. Are we willing to do that? Back in the end of chapter 10, apologies for all the flicking, but that's what we're doing. Back in the end of chapter 10, Paul expands this to not only include the good of believers, but also the good of unbelievers. So in verse 25, when you pop down to the market on a Friday morning, um, and, and you're looking to purchase your meat for the weekend, well, you don't need to check which sausages have been offered to the Lord, at, sorry, to, which sausages have been offered to a, a, a Corinthian God, and which sausages haven't. And after all, the earth belongs to the Lord. And, and verse 27, when you're popping along to your neighbor's house for dinner next week, well, you can eat whatever is put in front of you. You don't need to play detective. You can simply look forward to eating it and giving praise and and glory to God for it. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. Now, obviously, that is going to be a little bit frustrating. You can imagine your heart sinking the moment someone opens their mouth and says, This came from the temple. Oh no! The pie smelt so good, I was looking forward to getting into it. And now you're going to go veggie for the evening. It's going to be frustrating. But do not eat it. Why? Well, for the sake of the one who told you. And for the sake of conscience. I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? Now, the second half of verse 29 and verse 30, there's all sorts of debate going on between the commentators as to exactly what's going on there and exactly which argument Paul is using them to back up. I'm not prepared to go to the stake on this quite yet. I'm very happy to admit that I may not have sorted this out perfectly. But the conclusion that I've come to is that they are Paul's reason as to why we should not eat. After all, why should I eat food if a non-Christian is going to judge me for it? Why should I eat something that is going to lead me to face denouncement from a non-Christian. 
What is the advantage in using the freedom that I have to eat it in such a way that another person's conscience is going to judge me for it? How can I give thanks for food knowing that it's going to lead to people condemning me? Think about it this way. Imagine imagine that the non-Christian thinks that it is wrong for Christians to eat meat that has come from the sacrificial system. And they've raised that at the meal. Well, if the Christian then continues to eat the meat after being told about it, what might the non-Christian conclude? They might say, you're a hypocrite. You've got double standards. They might conclude that the Christian God is no different from any other gods. They might think, well, Christianity is no different from any other religion. You can use it when it's convenient for you, but just dispose of it when you want to. That's what the non-Christian might conclude. Um, When I was back in um, university, um, in my first year, um, I'll be honest, I I struggled um, with alcohol. And what would happen was, um, I'd go to the college Christian union on on a Tuesday night, and then I'd go out with my mates afterwards, um, and I'd have too much to drink. One non-Christian came up to me one day and says, isn't it a bit weird, a bit hypocritical of you, popping along to Christian Union and then going out with us and having too much to drink? I was very glad that he told me because it was hypocritical. Now, with that example is by no means perfect, right? Because getting drunk is not a freedom issue like the food seems to be a little bit of in Corinth. Is, I'm not saying that it's the perfect example. It was always wrong for me to have too much alcohol, whether the non-Christian pointed it out or not, right? But the reason I raise it is because it shows that our behavior around non-Christians really does matter. Even if our behavior is morally neutral, like eating meat, well, that could damage our witness, Our actions could hinder the progress of the gospel. Why would a non-Christian want to hear about Jesus when I'm living as a hypocrite? Or they think I'm living as a hypocrite. Paul has already said back in chapter 9 that he would rather do anything. He would rather put up with anything. Even the denial of his own freedom, his own rights. Rather than letting the gospel be impeded. Verse 32 again. Do not cause anyone to stumble whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. My behavior in first year was not for the good of many. Definitely not so that they may be saved. Paul's priority is to do whatever he can, even if it means giving up things that he could technically do in order to give people the best chance of receiving eternal salvation. That should be our priority too, the good of others. Now, as I said earlier, what I want to do now is um, take us through um, a, a case study of what this might look like in practice. And I've tried to put this into a flow diagram for us. Um, if this helps you, then wonderful. If not, um, then apologies um, and forget about it as quickly as you can. So, 
Let's just imagine that the invitation comes through for the end-of-year work party. The tickets aren't cheap, and you know that these parties are all about alcohol and indulgence. And so we've got to work out, well, do we go or not? Well, from what we've seen this evening, the first thing to consider is the glory of God. And so before responding, we've got to sit down and think, can I glorify God by going? Can I glorify God by going to this party? Now, the answer might be no. For example, going to the party might mean that I will end up participating in the worship of alcohol. Going might mean that I can't really be godly in the way that I'm speaking about people. And if the answer is no, if I cannot glorify God by going, then I shouldn't go. Don't go. But the answer might be yes. Uh, For example, it might well be possible for me to go without participating. It, It might well be possible for me to go and live in a godly and distinctive way. I might be able to praise God publicly in front of people for things. Well, that would bring glory to God. And if the answer is yes, well, then I might be free to go. Now, the reason why it's only might be free to go at this point is because we've only considered the glory of God. We still need to consider the good of others. And so we might then want to ask the question, well, would going destroy the weaker Christian? Um, Imagine that there's a, a relatively new Christian in the office and one who's perhaps come out of a a background of struggles with alcohol. He also gets the invitation and he knows that I've got the invitation. Well, we really seriously need to consider what my attendance could do for him. If me going is going to lead him back into sin, if going will destroy the weaker Christian, then then I shouldn't go. So if the answer is yes, do not go. But if you know that no other Christians will struggle, if you know that it's not going to destroy a weaker Christian, if the answer is no, it's not going to destroy them, well, feel free to go, but in brackets, unless, of course, as we've seen tonight, a question gets raised by another Now, with this example, I don't really exactly know what this might look like. Um, A couple of potential options. Um, Maybe the non-Christian questions the fact that you've spent so much money on on a ticket. I don't know. Or or maybe the party's on a Saturday night and you're still out in the early hours of Sunday morning. And they're questioning, well, is church really that important for you? Um, I don't know. You might at that point think, well, my attendance is potentially damaging my witness to the Lord Jesus, and so I shouldn't stay. Now, of course, that's just one example. Um, There'll be many examples um, that we can think through um, later over refreshments. And indeed, we do need to think this through, and we need to think it through with absolutely everything. I wonder if you noticed how broad verse 31 is. Let's just look back at it again. Whether you eat or drink, or what 
whatever you do. Do you notice that? Not just eating and drinking. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Verse 33, Paul, even as I try to please everyone in every way. These verses can be applied much further than just thinking about whether we join in with something or not that might be morally neutral. Apply these verses to absolutely any decision that we might be making. What should I do about the future? Should I move job? Should I move house? Whatever the decision, get your list of options out and think glory of God, that crosses off a few options. Think good of others, that crosses off a few other options. And if you've still got multiple options left, well, just pick one and get on with it. Now, as we head towards a close, three final brief things from me. It's worth saying that this kind of decision-making process is very countercultural, isn't it? The world says, do what serves you. Do what you want to do. Only think about yourself. That's what Christchurch Corinth were doing. That's how they made decisions. If they got the invitation about the work party, then they wouldn't have even thought about it for two seconds. They would have gone, of course I'm going. I've got the right to go. But the challenge for us is to make sure that we're a church, that we're Christians, who don't rush into making decisions just because we think it's okay, it's not sinful. We might be those who rush into decisions. We might be those who need to slow down. We might be those who have a tendency to just make decisions on our own without thinking, well, could I ask my Christian brother or sister for their thoughts on this? We need to be those who think, not what can I do, but what should I do? What will be beneficial? What will be constructive? What will help me to grow in godliness? What will bring glory to God? What will be good for others? It's countercultural. It's also worth acknowledging that this kind of decision making could be costly. And as we do this, we might find areas of freedom that we need to give up in order to help ourselves free from idolatry and in order to help other Christian brothers or sisters. Paul said he's prepared to give up meat. Would you do that for another Christian brother or sister, even if it was just benefiting one other person? It might be costly for us. It's countercultural, it's costly. And as we look at the final verse, we see that this way of thinking and this way of living is very Christ-like. Paul says in 11, verse 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. If you think about it, then what we've really been doing this evening is tracking through the decision-making process of the Lord Jesus himself. Jesus is the one who did all things for the glory of God, not my will, but yours. Jesus is the one who did all things for the good of other people, humiliation, pain, and death, as he went to the cross for you and for me. The one who took God's wrath for us so that we can be saved. That's Paul's priority, that's Christ's priority, and it should be ours. It might feel costly for you to give up some freedoms, 
But when we recall the cost that the Lord Jesus was willing to pay for us, well, those costs pale into insignificance, don't they? Giving up meat for the rest of my life in order to keep a Christian brother or sister going as a Christian, that is nothing compared to Jesus suffocating, dying, taking God's wrath for you and for me. Jesus says these words, for even the Son of Man, even the Son of Man, think back to Daniel 7 last week, the one with all power, glory, and authority, even that one, the Son of Man, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. How do we make decisions? How do we decide what we should be joining in with and what we shouldn't be? Well, adopt the mindset of the Lord Jesus. Adopt the mindset that prioritizes not my freedoms, not my rights, but the mindset that prioritizes the glory of God and the good of others. Let's pray together. Paul writes, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Father, as we look at these words, we pray that the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus would motivate us to be those who serve you by bringing glory to you and do what is good for others. Help us as we think about lots of decisions, lots of things that are, that are simple on one level and yet quite complex to think through as we think about how we might best do things for the glory of your name and for the good of your people here. Help us by your spirit. Help us to think about these things more deeply. Help us to make decisions wisely and in a godly way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. John's going to come up and continue to lead us in prayer.